Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. This week, we interview Susan Winterstein, an interior designer from San Diego. She is the founder of Savvy Giving by Design, a nonprofit whose mission is to provide comfort and healing to families with children facing a medical crisis by transforming the interior spaces of their homes at no cost to them. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys. This is Meredith Atwood. Good to be with you guys today. I have a super special guest today. Her name is Susan Winterstein. Hi, Susan. Hi, Meredith. (laughs) So Susan and I have an interesting little how we met story. And it starts when um, I had 69 Facebook followers. (laughs) And I'll never forget that number for whatever reason. Um, But I had a group of like four or five San Diego ladies who were just very sweet and supportive of the blog and of me. And I said, I should come out to visit you guys. And they said, well, get on a plane. (laughs) Come see us. And I thought, really? And my husband said, are you sure they're okay? Is this safe? (laughs) It was all, um, but I went out there and we just had the best time. And I really bonded with Susan and Robin and Mickey and Carrie. And who am I forgetting? There was one more. That was it. Yeah, that was mostly it. I know. I don't want to get an angry text. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it was just like the best weekend. And Susan is super instrumental in my life because we were driving down, we were in the, is it Gaslamp District? Uh Yeah. So we were driving in Gaslamp District and I was whining from the back seat that I really wanted to write a book, but I didn't have the time. And so Susan, you were driving and you (laughs) chimed back. You said, if you want to write a book, write a damn book. (laughs) And I that was sounds like, about right. <laughs> oh, I guess I should. And that was January of 2012, I believe. And I published my book in November. So thank you, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could take all the credit, but I you think just, all the credit was you. No, you just lit a fire under me. And I love that that is your personality. So welcome to the show. I wanted to have you on because you are doing big things and making a difference in the world and I guess in unexpected ways, but really, really cool ways. So um, I wanted to first introduce you and let everyone know that you have five daughters. Yes. (laughs) So what are their ages? The oldest is 23 and the youngest is 13. So we have 23, 21, 19, uh, almost 18, so 17 right now, and then 13. And your grown-up children love you. Mm Mm-hmm. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, and I know I say that with such surprise, but I think it's rare to find a bunch of grown-up adult children that really love hanging out with their family. And you you just seem to have this great family unit. What is the secret? Tell me your things. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know that there's any tremendous secret. I think all of the girls are fairly close to one another, so they all have different dynamics in their relationships. Um but we do spend a lot of time together as a family. So we, you know, family traveling has always been super important to us with them growing up. And so we would take extended trips or uh, live in other places. And I think they all kind of learn to rely on each other as friends and siblings. And so they do have kind of a unique relationship um, with each other and with us and that we, you know, family has always been, um, you know, cornerstone and family dinners and, 
Um, and communication, obviously, I think it all boils down to is that there's not a lot of um, conflict mm-hmm. with five girls. You would think that there'd be a lot of drama and right. a lot of conflict. Um, there really isn't. And I think just because the way John and I um, raised them in a lot of ways was to always try to resolve that conflict. And recently, my oldest daughter and I um, had some conflict and she says, I'm just not, you know, living on my own for the last two years. Not a lot of my friends call me on my stuff all the time. And here you are calling me on my stuff. <laughs> and I'm not used to that again, you know, but so, you know, it's that type of deeper layer kind of getting through the layers of conflict and being able to resolve it. And I think um, all of them have developed that skill set over life. So there's not a lot of drama that happens on a day-to-day basis. That is such which a I wonderful skill set yeah. is conflict resolution. And yes, I, you know, I kind of grew up in a house when we had a conflict, we would have it out. You know, it didn't have time to, you know, marinate and and hold grudges. And, and so I tend to go when I feel that someone (laughs) is upset with me or, you know, a relationship is breaking down. I'm always the first to say, you know, I'm grateful for you, but what's going on? (laughs) Yes, exactly. How can we work this out? What did I do to hurt you? Why are you not speaking to me? I'm sad about this. Um, and I've found that with a lot of people that really jives very easily. I mean, one of my really good, um, friends and athletes, we had a bit of a breakdown, but within 24 hours, like we're crying on the phone together, you know, we resolve it. But then there's other people that I find that (laughs) when you ask them what's wrong, they'll just lie to you for a very long period of time. And then later hate you for, you know, where, what is the secret to teaching children from a young age to have this like open communication where, I mean, it's painful to communicate this way, but in the end, I do think it it matters. Yeah. I think that's the biggest tool I think that we taught them growing up is because a lot of, and I would tell them this all the time, that if you can get this down now when you're young, when you're older, life is going to be so much easier for you because if you try to avoid it or you try to hide from it, it will come out eventually and it's not serving you or that other person in your relationship well to continue to skirt around the issue. So just hit it dead on. There's nothing wrong with trying to sit down and talk to somebody and, you know, giving them the tools of being able to, okay, so I'm a psych major, right? So I studied oh, some of this. this is and all so, becoming very clear now, Susan. Right? So <laughs> this is this is part of, you know, being able to efficiently have a conversation with someone without the blaming, without the projection, without your defense mechanisms rising up. And a lot of times it's not necessarily about the argument issue. It's about something deeper. And so to be able to kind of, as I would tell them, peel back the layers, this is what I think is going on. And then they would be, have this aha moment, like, yeah, that's what's going on and Mm -hmm. be able to get past it. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, all of the girls, um, you know, a lot of it too is deciding when's the appropriate time to have that talk, right? Is it something Mm -hmm. that you can get over and let go and not take quite so personally, or is it something that has to be addressed? And that's a really fine line too, because sometimes, you know, you don't want to swing the pendulum to the other side and where every single thing becomes something you have to talk about. Mm -hmm. So there really has to be that fine line balance between what's really the important stuff and what's the stuff that you can kind of let go and not let it get to you. Right. And so really kind of navigating those waters with them. Um, was super important with, you know, kind of getting them to that space. 
Yeah, that's that's really impressive. I mean, I, I found that as I get further and further along in life, that learning to communicate how someone else communicates is definitely a valuable tool. But at some point you reach um, maybe a conflict in your own life where you're like, I can't put up with not communicating in the way that serves me as well. Right, <laughs> and, right. And I, find, I found out recently that that's been a huge challenge for me. Um, my husband's one who likes to, he, he likes to always be polite and he'll um, maybe not want to address issues, you know, quite head on. But I, I know that the more time we've spent together over the years, we're at least meeting each other in the middle there. But yeah, um, it's just, it's awesome. I'm just always so impressed yeah. with you. Every time I see uh, the five girlies and you, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know you're not perfect, but I just They're, admire no, you. No, it's not. It's, you know, and they each have their own personalities and their own ways of handling different stressors and stuff like that. So, you know, you, you can't parent two children the same way. You just can't. Their right. personalities are entirely different and you have to learn to adapt to treating each one as an individual and not lumping them all in together because they're, they have different, you know, ways of reacting. I mean, when Michelle and Sarah, my older two were very young, you know, I could look at Michelle and I could just, you know, get in her face and tell her I did not like her behavior. And she would just look at me with big eyes and she wouldn't even react. And you were like, am I getting through? (laughs) And then I would do the same thing to her sister who was 16 months younger and she would just burst into tears, Mm -hmm. hug a kissy mommy, hug a, you know, and just need that reaffirmation, but they were two entirely different reactions to a very similar style. So I really had to adapt quickly to each of their personalities to figure out where I was going to be most effective. Oh my gosh. Parenting. So I know <laughs> That's they're crazy. all different. Now, so I know. Were you, you were not a stay at home mom. You I was. Were, you were for, yeah, I, for several well, years. I was until my, um, until I was pregnant with my fifth. Um, I stayed home. Uh, my oldest, Michelle, was about 10, 11, and I was stay-at-home mom, and John worked kind of corporate, uh, the corporate world. So okay. I was um, I was it for the, about the first 10 years. Okay. And then when did you start your career? I mean, you... Um, well, I started when... So I had always, you know, been somewhat entrepreneurial. Um, when I got pregnant with my fifth, my mother-in-law gave me a great piece of advice. She said, Susan, I know how much you love children, but at some point you're going to need to stop. And, <laughs> and you had eight kids. Probably. Yeah. Um, she says, you know, they're going to grow up and you're going to need something. It's always a good idea to have something just for yourself, you know, something that's just makes you feel good outside of just the parenting. Because let's face it, parenting is great, but it's somewhat thankless, right? You know, you make your lunch, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and, you know, they're not going, great job on lunch, mom. You know, no, they're... Susan, they're I just... had a morning this morning where when I'm on the floor of my closet and with yeah. the door shut, my husband's like, oh, no, what's going on? Because <laughs> it's bad. I don't, like, I'll just usually throw a tantrum publicly, but... When I'm sitting on the floor of the closet, like he's he's knowing it's bad. And today was the floor of the closet moment because everything oh. has just been like insane. And then I wake up, wake Stella up this morning and she's like, my tooth hurts. And for whatever reason, that just set me over the edge. I was like, I can't handle her losing her tooth. <laughs> it uh-huh. was the stupidest thing. But it is so thankless. And that sounds terrible, but there's been a lot of... <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's like last week she got hit in the face with a football, which caused this alleged oh. tooth pain. And then two days later she got hit by a kickball. And I'm, and you know the school calls you and they do all these 
disclaimers because they have to let you know. And she's tough. Like, she's fine. But then it's become this phantom tooth pain. And so finally this morning I thought, okay, maybe her tooth's really hurting. And so I take her to the dentist and her tooth is fine. There's no issue. And as we're leaving the dentist, she's like, my stomach hurts. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, no, there's a deeper issue here. But it's just hard sometimes. I think you, yes. it just feels th- it does feel thankless and hard, even though it's not even a big deal sometimes. But it's just those small things that put me on the yes. floor of the closet. <laughs> it just adds up over time. It becomes somewhat cumulative. Yeah, and with five, yeah. I can't even fathom five children, Susan, and how you. I don't. I can't. Well, (laughs) I think, I think, you know, like I said, I had full time to be home with them the first 10 years. And then after that, very much like my mother-in-law said, I just started, you know, I really enjoyed designing my own spaces and my own home. And I had a friend come to me and say, I still have moving boxes in my house from three years ago. Um, Will you please come down and help me do my house? And I'm like, oh, sure. No problem. And went down and then she took me to lunch one day and she sat me down and she handed me um, a package and I opened it and it was um, 10 $100 bills, $1,000 for helping her. And I thought, whoa, I go, I got paid for doing something I would do for free. This is amazing. Like, how do I do more of this? So that's really when I, I, by the seat of my pants, decided that I was going to get some business cards and a business license and start working um, my way through design. And um, I was fortunate enough that, you know, my husband was very supportive and I only did it part-time the first year or two, uh, two days a week. Um, and, you know, would get a sitter and go and work for just a couple projects. And then slowly over the years, it began to grow mm-hmm. and more and more people would refer me and more and more people wanted to use my services. And in 2007, so it was about five years later, my husband and I um, decided that we were going to do some house flips. So we bought a couple homes to flip. And when the market kind of crashed, we got scared because we're conservative um, financially and didn't want to lose money. So we looked at each other and said, well, now what? Um, you know, do you want to go back to corporate America or should we try to grow the business? And he said, no, let's try to grow the business. So we switched roles a little bit and he, um, became more of the stay at home dad and helped with the you know, grocery store and the cooking at night. And, um, some of the, um, picked up some of the slack for me and picking up kids. And we really became, um, both partners in work and in their, in our home and, uh, where things were just a little bit more divvied up equally. And I went and took on more clients. And from there, it's just been kind of a whirlwind. You know, we now have four other designers that work with us and a buyer and, um, a bookkeeper. And so we just kind of try to keep our head above water at this point, but it's been a great career for us because it's allowed us to be home in the Mm -hmm. afternoons, you know, by three o'clock and, you know, still raise our kids and be a part of their lives. And certainly um, the ability for John to spend more time with his girls and raise them, uh, which was super important for both of us. So it's uh, afforded us a lot of, um, it's been a good career for us. Well, I think one thing, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. I was just going to say, I think two things are super interesting that you said. Um, One was after you met with your friend and she gave you the money and you said, what, I can get paid for this. Right. And then the second that you started doing it part time, um, just working it in where you could. And I think that is that is very parallel to sort of the path I've taken. And so many entrepreneurs I've found have taken that it's you're lucky when you can do your passion and when you can figure out what you love 
and say, what, I can get paid for this. That is right. major. That is what you should be doing. And I know yes. everyone says, well, I don't have the luxury to do what I love. And that I think that is so not true. I think it may take a while. If you're a captain careful like me, it may take 15 right. years to captain be brave careful. enough to do it. Yeah. And right. I started it part-time. I mean, I wrote the book you know, in 2012 and you said, go write your damn book. And yeah. that was five years ago. And that's pretty short when you think about it about it in the scheme of things, but, um, you do what you can and what you love, even if it's part-time, even if it's quarter time. Or Um, even if it's just a hobby, I mean, mm -hmm. to do to, I mean, I think in some ways I vacillate back and forth. I agree with you and in raising our daughters, we've always asked them, you know, they've, they've, you know, majored in art and people give them all sorts of grief, sadly about, well, how are you going to make a living at art? And, um, the reality is, is that if you're passionate about something, you'll find a way to make it, you know, a a living out of doing it. And Mm -hmm. Michelle's been fortunate enough to be self-employed as a graphic artist now. And her art history comes in tremendously helpful when she's designing logos for small businesses and working in her graphics. But unfortunately too, the reality is we still need tradespeople and we still need people to work in normal jobs. And sometimes with so much talk about follow your passion, follow your dreams, I fear that sometimes we give, you know, you still have to adult, right? You still have to pay the rent and, and pay your mortgage and not everyone knows what they're passionate about when they're young. Mm -hmm. And I didn't find my passion until I was 38 and started doing something just kind of on a lark, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that I was just kind of sort of interested in. And, but there's always this pressure these days. I think you, every inspirational sign you read, follow your passion, follow your dreams, do this. And if you're not somehow it's deficient. And I don't think that's true because I think in life, there's got to be a balance between, you know, I have to pay the bills, I have to work. And at the same time, I'm going to, on my off time, go find the things that I do enjoy doing and mm-hmm. fill my life with things that fill my soul, you know, whether it's hiking or, you know, you can't make a living at hiking necessarily, but <laughs> you might really enjoy it, you know, but it's right. about that work-life balance. And I think and, a lot of times people, I think what I'm more allu- alluding to is when you just get stuck in a career yes. that is killing you, you know, that is exactly. soul-sucking. And, and I think that if you raise a really good point that if you have a job that you tolerate and earns a great living, but then you have a huge passion outside of it, but you're right. There has to be some sort of balance, but I think there's so much pressure to sometimes, especially as a young person, like, like you said, your daughters um, are in art. And I was told when I was an English major or when I was a journalism major that I was not going to make any money doing that. Right. And I switched and became a, a pre, pre-law English degree and then went on to be miserable for 15 years. Um, so it, right. it's hard to, I would, and, and now I'm full circle, right? Like journalism and mass communication and look at what I'm doing now. I'm right back to where, you know, right. I would have been, but I would have been without the life experience and the, the drive to find something better. And so I think that it, you know, it, it's good. I went the path I did, but it's hard when you're 18. I mean, how do you know what yeah. you want to do? <laughs> Nobody does. And yeah. we tell our kids that all the time, you know, Sarah, my second daughter has a degree in child development and she worked in the field for a little bit and she has, um, also decided, but she has a passion for the wedding industry. She just loves it. She mm-hmm. just loves everything about it. The flowers, the dresses, the this. 
And so she took a big leap this year. Um, I mean, head and shoulders above where I was at that age um, and decided to immerse herself and and do whatever jobs she could that were within that industry um, and start her own business. And so again, that entrepreneur, I think I wrecked them in some ways (laughs) and that uh, they've seen the lifestyle of being an entrepreneurial and, and, or entrepreneur. And I think in some ways, it's a double-edged sword. There's mm-hmm. tremendous freedom because there's no ceiling. You can work as hard as you want, and the more harder you work, the more reward you're going to get. But at the same time, it's way riskier, yeah. and you wind up working 60, 80 hours a week versus a traditional 40-hour work week. So right. there's more that goes into it. And you know, I mean, you put your heart and soul into something, you want to make it work, you're going to work those extra hours. Well, and it's funny because um, my dad was um, self-employed. Uh, when I was growing up and he always had his main business, which was um, ceramic tile contracting. And then he had another business on top of that, like whatever the the business of the year was, he was always building something else on the side. And he pushed so hard for me to go get an education. And he wanted me so bad to have corporate America because to him, it was such a struggle to be, you know, blue collar entrepreneur type. And then, but it, but I watched him, you know, I watched him be at my basketball games and I watched him always be able, be available for whatever dumb project I had. I mean, so part of me was like, there was that freedom and then the spirit of building your own business. So I watched him do that and then I never feared it. And that's what I always wanted. And so now that I'm, you know, on my own and have that freedom, I work way more. Right. (laughs) I sleep way less, but it's, it, it was, what I saw. And so that's what your, your girls see. And yeah, Yeah. you totally host But you're building, you're (laughs) building something, you know, and and we're fortunate that we have the opportunity to do that. And whether it's slow or fast, you know, nobody, I think there's tremendous value in going slow. I do. I just think that you get a chance to learn along the way and what works and what doesn't, and there's no rush. But when you put your time and energy into it, I think it can be a, a big payoff in the long run. So tell me, tell everyone the name of your interior design company. Uh, the the design company is called Savvy Interiors. S A V V Y. V is in Victor, but and a you lot guys of people are have trouble where? spelling that. San Diego, California. I have a lot of trouble spelling Savvy too. S A V V, not two A's, right. two V's. Two V's. <laughs> yeah, I know. One of the flaws in my initial name, but I do no, like the name, it's and not it a was. Flaw. It was, you know, Savvy, I, I always wanted to be smart about interiors. I'm a huge believer in function than design, that things can look nice but be functional. So when you, you know, as a mom of kids and dogs and everything, I wanted my house to look nice. And I cringe when clients tell me, oh, well, my kids are little, so I don't want anything good because they're going to wreck it. <laughs> I'm like, wait, but there's ways to make it look good and be functional at the same time. So I want to be smart about it. I want to be smart about your interior and... um like I said, be somewhat savvy about it. So, Well, one thing that is so funny, when we moved into this house in 2014, it's a beautiful house, but it had serious, ugly colors, serious, serious. And you guys, I sent Susan pictures and you know, she's in San Diego, I'm in Atlanta. And I said, what can you do with this? And she's like, hold please. And I think it might've been like <laughs> eight hours. You sent me like this uh, computerized mock-up with this color scheme and you said here buy this couch <laughs> buy this chair <laughs> and um, I said Susan and the couch you had picked out was a light gray and my kids were mm-hmm. what six and seven seven and eight and I said the same thing to you I cannot buy a light gray couch and you said it no it's microfiber it'll 
clean up anything. And I didn't believe you. And so for the last two years, I've like never let the kids get near the couch (laughs) (laughs) until recently. Yeah. was eating something red and I have no idea. It was like blackberries. And I walk over to the couch and there's, and she used it as a napkin, you know, naturally when you're eating blackberries, you wipe your hands on the couch. And I said, okay, Susan, (laughs) here we go. Let's see about this couch. And I went over to the sink and I got a little bit of soap and water. And that, if those blackberry stains did not come out of that couch, I can't they did believe, or they did not? Did. Oh, good. And See, I, I, you know, and I felt bad that I've kept them off the couch for so long. Right. <laughs> oh, microfiber is like the best invention ever. I, um, I it. Same thing. I had a client. I talked them into a microfiber. They really weren't convinced, and. He emailed me and the first sentence said, well, my daughter took a blue pen to the green couch and I thought, oh gosh, here we go. You know, I'm just going to, you know, it didn't come, you know, whatever. And he says, a a little bit of water and the whole thing came right out. I'm so glad you talked us into that. And I was like, oh, it's amazing. (laughs) Could have gone the other way. So everyone's going to ask what couch this is. Um, Am I allowed to say what couch it is? (laughs) What? The West Elm couch? Yeah, it was the West Elm couch. Oh, yeah. West Elm. Yeah. West Elm is a very affordable option for a lot of people. We now have sofa manufacturers that can, you get a little bit better quality, um, you know, for the long haul, but they carry all the same kind of fabrics. So any kind of poly velvet like that or polyester based uh, microfiber is great. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. She made, and the color scheme was awesome too. And she told me what color paint to buy and all of this. And people will walk in and they're like, I love your paint. And so you're just awesome, Susan. You have such Uh, talent, even to fix the ugly from afar. You know, flattery (laughs) will get you everywhere. So that's so fine. her business is Savvy Interiors, and the, the tagline on the website is, there's no place like home unless it's ugly. You've got to fix <laughs> ugly, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. That was, that was a little bit of my snark coming out. You I know, I think I yawn every time I go to most designers' websites because I don't want to be stuffy. I don't want to be the snooty designer that doesn't handle ugly. I want to be the one that says, hey, so my house needs a little help, and there's no right. shame in that. So exactly. I'm... Uh, that's why people hire me is right. to take that part out. So, um, you know, I want a sense of humor when it comes to design. I want to be approachable. I want people to feel comfortable in the process and make it fun. Um, it shouldn't be arduous and it shouldn't be too serious. It's your house, you know, right. this is where you live and it's a sensitive, you know, part of all of our spaces because you want to be happy in your space. So what are the top, say two or three things you would suggest if someone is looking at their house and they're thinking, oh, I I don't even know where to start. This is too ugly. Where, what do you tell your clients or, or just what would be two tips for someone who has no idea about design? Where would you start? I would start um, encouraging them to look at photos either on House, um, which is a website that compiles millions and millions of photos from different designers, um, and start with some idea books where you can collect some pictures of the things that you like and the looks that you're drawn to. A lot of times, most clients just don't know what they want until they see it. Mm-hmm. They know what they don't want, but a, a lot of times they'll see an image and it'll be pleasing, and they're like, well, I don't really want that, but I really like how that paint color kind of looks in that space. Save it. And put a note or a tag on the picture and just say, I like how the paint color looks. Mm -hmm. Or take a look at another picture. And maybe you don't really like the furnishings in it, but you like the overall feel that you get from that picture. The more pictures you collect, you'll start to tell a story of what your 
drawn to. Um, a lot of times when clients send us their idea books or the pictures, it's not so much that I'm trying to copy some image that's in there for their space. I want to get a sense for where they are style-wise. Um, sometimes if I see a client present you know, five or six pictures and they're all disjointed, one might be really Tuscan, one might be really modern, another one might be really coastal. I'll say, okay, you are all over the map here. Let's hone in on something because what do you like about this picture? And you try to find that commonality to get them to find what their style is. Or they might mm-hmm. just be one of those people that I like everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, okay, well, let's do this kind of look in this one room and then let's carry some elements of that over to another space. Um, but, you know, if you've got a very, very Spanish-looking home, you know, it may not work to have a mid-century furnishings in it. And you have to decide, are you okay with that? Is that what you want? Do you want a real mid-century look with this Spanish architecture? Uh, And how are we going to achieve that? Um, Because ultimately, you should look around and feel really comfortable in your space. So that would be the number one, is start looking at photos and start seeing what you're attracted to and find out if it's a lot of the same sort of things, how you're going to incorporate that into your space. And the next thing I think is just paint. Honestly, it, it sounds so simplistic, but For the dollar and for your budget, pain is going to make the biggest difference in your space. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of times, colors will transfer in different areas um, differently. So never paint swatches on the wall, ever, ever, ever. Go to Michael's, go somewhere and get some big poster boards. Paint your swatches, two coats on a big board that's at least two feet by two feet. And then move it around your space with the different lighting during the day to see how it translates in your space. Because picking from a small chip is going to be a little bit more difficult than seeing something on a big two-foot-by-two-foot space and how it affects, you know, from the shading in your house, from the light that you get in your house and the undertones that it's pulling. Um, And, you know, hire somebody to help you pick out some good colors. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's what a space could really use the most is just that kind of an update. Which you is told inexpensive. Me to do that. You told me to go get those yeah. stupid boards and the sample paint. <laughs> and I was like, Susan, just tell me what color to paint my house. I don't care. Uh, like I just and you're like, do it. And I yeah. did it with the first two colors. And one of them was a gray and I didn't like it. And I thought, it's just gray. Like, why would I have a problem with gray? But there was something like greenish about it. And then you said, yeah. Well, try this gray. And I went and got it. And I was like, that's the gray. And it was really interesting because I would have painted yeah. that in my foyer, which is huge and tall. And I would have walked in and been like, I hate this green foyer. <laughs> right. Well, it's so funny because I can take a color that's worked great in a space when I get this asked all the time on our house profile is what color did you use in this house? And if I give them that color without the caveat of even though it looks like it's a real warm brown right now doesn't mean um, that it's going to be that same color in your space. It might turn a really cool gray because Mm -hmm. so much of it depends. If you get a lot of natural sunlight, then you're going to want to go with a cooler tone. And if you don't get a lot of natural light, you're going to want to go with a warmer tone. Um, And there's different undertones and you'll see those on paint decks and stuff, but really it's trying it in your space because your floors, your light in your house may completely change the color that worked great in one house. It'll look totally different in another. They just don't necessarily transfer. Do you find that interior design, when you have a a new client, it's a lot, it becomes like a life coaching relationship? (laughs) Sometimes we call it, we tease and we call it savvy counseling. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lot of personalities and a lot of um, 
different thoughts and um, decisions to make. And if you, you know, are somebody that has trouble making decisions or you make decisions too quickly and then come back and change or second guess yourself, there's a lot of, um, you know, reassurance. And I think that's why people hire a professional to come in is because we've been there, done that. Mm -hmm. We don't need to recreate the wheel. We can direct you and help streamline the process. Um, but for some people move very quickly and other people move a little bit slower it takes Mm -hmm. them a little bit longer to adapt to different changes that they're making. There's a lot of, I mean, let's face it. There's a lot of emotion that gets wrapped up into our homes. Um, and, and it's a very, you know, especially when you're doing construction or anything like that, it's the place you live. It's, you want to feel good in it. Um, it, it, there's a lot that goes into it. So let's segue into the other work that you're doing, which is Savvy Giving by Design. Talk about this a little bit. This is just, I know this is your heart and soul, and this is really fabulous, you guys. So tell us about it, Susan. Okay. So about two years ago, um, you know, I'm I'm on social media quite a bit and run a couple different group pages, and uh, there was a friend that had posted... Uh, one of her friend's daughters was had been diagnosed with cancer. And gosh, if there's, you know, two things that have been affected my life over the past 10 years, it's been, you know, my love of children, obviously, and it's been being affected by cancer. I think all of us have had somebody close to us mm-hmm. um, go through that um, trial. So um, I thought, gosh, a 14-year-old, the same ages as my kids uh, going through cancer, what can I do? Well, the standard joke in our house is I don't cook. So if I were to bring a meal on a meal train, I think it would not be um, well-received because it would probably be some takeout and then it would have some disease attached to it or something. I don't know. Anyway, so that was not going to happen. Um, and I thought, you know, I'd love to be able to, I, you know, I wonder what it's like to be in their room and not feel well, and maybe I can do something and kind of spruce up their space. I don't know. I, I really um, had no idea what I was going to start, but I just kind of do that. I jump in first and then figure it out later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I dive in. I said, what, what do you think? Maybe I can redo her space. And she said, let me talk to the mom. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's go over and take a look. And I went over and met the family, and I was so nervous. I think I was probably more nervous meeting with this 14-year-old than I was with any other client, only because I knew the stress that they were under. And here I am coming in, not knowing what I'm going to do, but at the same time wanting to please and not say no. Right. Like, you know, with my clients, if they ask me for something, I'll say, "Mm, no, we're not doing that. But when a child asks you for something, it's something they really, really want, you're like, well, okay, how can I make that happen for them? Right. So um, I started researching what it, you know, what's a healing environment? What does that look like? And what do these kids go through? So most of these kids, um, we think that they're in the hospital all the time when they get treated for cancer, which actually the opposite is true. When they're going through extended chemotherapy, they go to what they call clinic and, um, you know, once a week, a couple times a week or once a month and they get their chemotherapy and then they're monitored at home. Mm -hmm. If they spike a fever um, because their immune system is so compromised, then what happens is they go into the hospital, they get antibiotics and then it can delay their next chemotherapy treatment. So the goal while they're home is to keep them as germ-free as possible because if they're exposed to germs and they get sick, they may compromise their treatment plan and push it off longer, which means those cancer cells have an opportunity to come back Mm -hmm. um, and be more aggressive. So what we're trying to do is kind of keep the cancer cells at bay 
keep them healthy while they're at home and eliminate any of the allergens or the things that are going to cause them to get some sort of either a bacterial or viral infection. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking at spaces, especially a bedroom, which they're, they're not feeling well, they're probably going to be sleeping, they're probably going to be resting during the day, you want to look at one of all of those things that are going to affect their healing. One would be um, removing any soft surface or carpet from the floors. Mm-hmm. Uh, really hard to get all of the allergens out of carpet, carpets, the dust, the things that are going to cause irritation. So the, one of the first things we're going to do is maybe put a solid surface floor in their space. Um, fresh paint, window coverings, super important. Again, if they're sleeping during the day because they're not feeling well or they're nauseous and they need to get some rest, you don't want sunlight you know, glaring in in their room at, at one o'clock in the afternoon. So you're going to want to do something that's going to provide really significant light control. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other thing you want to do is lighting at night. You know, a lot of times some of these kids need their last dose of chemo at midnight, you know, and as a parent, if you're walking into a child's space, you don't want to flip on all the lights and have these bright lights everywhere. So dimmer switches, soft lighting, things where you can ever so slightly turn on maybe some twinkly lights or something that are pleasing and soft and go in there and give them that last dose. So these are all the things that kind of circulate in my mind. So when we went into Casey's space, uh, we did very similar, a, a digital storyboard and said, this is what we're thinking. And and then a lot of the elements we try to keep as a surprise. Um, so a lot of times children especially are, are almost worse than adults and they, they really don't know what they want and they're scared. <laughs> they're scared that they're going to make the wrong decision mm-hmm. or they're scared that I'm not going to make the right decision for them or it's not going to look good together. So they get anxious about it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times I'll just say, give me some key colors and what you want your overall space to feel like. Do you want glam? Do you want spa? Do you want this? And let me just kind of go with it. And then if you really hate it, we'll redo it, but let's just go with it. And you know, if you can get them to kind of trust you, then I keep some of the elements and the details a surprise and just go with mainly the colors that they like and everything. And to date so far, two years later, we haven't had anyone come back and say, oh, I don't like it. I mean, everybody's obviously loved the rooms and and they don't know what they want until they see it. And so we dove in with Casey did a GoFundMe page. We had um, a lot of people donate and help offset the material costs. And a lot of my contractors donated their time. And about a year later, I had a client approach me and say, I I really want to help you, but I want to do this, um, you know, in a different way. I want to make you an official nonprofit. And I said, she was an attorney and I said, okay, you do the paperwork and I'll do it. (laughs) And so she did. She and my husband worked together um, tirelessly to uh, get everything submitted to the state. And we became an official nonprofit a little over a year ago. And um, we've done about 24 spaces to date. Wow. Uh, I didn't realize it was that many. Yeah, we do siblings as well, so that adds to it. But uh, we feel like the siblings often get lost in the shuffle with all of the attention on the primary child. So if there's two children, you'll do both? Mm -hmm. We'll do both. We'll do kind of a – we do a little bit more aggressive with the first child, the the identified child, uh, only because, you know, they may need the the flooring adjustment and the lighting adjustments, whereas with a sibling, we may not do the same uh, level. We might Mm -hmm. do a a slightly um, scaled-down version but something that's new enough and feels fresh enough and serves them better so that they can be there as a support for their sibling and feel like they're part of that family dynamic. That's um, really fantastic. So, yeah. So what has been some of the biggest challenges? I mean, I'm da- I'm dipping my toe into the nonprofit world and I'm totally terrified about it. But, I mean, what is the biggest challenge? Is it funding? Funding is a huge, huge part of it, yeah. I think only because... 
There are so many really, really worthwhile causes out there and so many wonderful nonprofits. Um, and so we're fighting and competing with all of the other nonprofits for dollars. Uh, so you, you know, you really are tapping into the community that, that feels the passion about your project the same way you do, you know, that wants to help children, that wants to have children that are going through cancer or are facing a life-threatening illness and making their lives a little better. Funding is definitely an issue. Donor fatigue, definitely an issue. Uh, we really are looking for more vendors to step up with product placement and to help us with our spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when you're spending marketing dollars um, for some of these businesses and advertising and marketing with designers, what better win-win situation would there be than to donate into a child's space um, that's designed by a designer where you can place your product and mm-hmm. be able to market that and help bring attention to that particular cause. So we're really trying to find larger uh, home vendors that want to help with our mission and, and provide for these kids. Um, that's the big part. The reporting, you know, obviously every dollar I spend, I'm very, very cautious with. Um, I'm very protective um, to date, you know, we don't have, uh, admin or, uh, we don't pay any staff members or anything for, um, helping. We're all volunteer run. We're very much a grassroots effort. Um, it, it takes a lot of time. It's like running a whole other business. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm very cautious with every dollar we spend and how we spend it. Uh, I want to make sure that the monies that people are donating is actually going towards the kids spaces and not towards, um, you know, outside costs, um, you know, that we have to incur administrative costs. So all of our meetings are held at my store, all of our, you know, so we don't pay for an office, right. we don't, all of those sort of things. So those are things that you have to think about. Um, I always said that if it got too hard with the state, that I would just go back to doing fewer rooms maybe on my own for people that trust me that I'm going to take the money and spend it on the spaces. And that's how we were successful our first year mm-hmm. um, because to do philanthropic work, you don't have to be a nonprofit. It certainly helps with the funding on a bigger, larger scale if you want to make it a larger scale. But there, if you trust the person um, that's doing the philanthropic work to support them, then I think you don't have to be a nonprofit. It's like I said, it's smart because Mm -hmm. it gives you, um, opens up revenue streams that wouldn't be open otherwise. Um, but it's, it's, a whole nother business, um, but tremendously rewarding, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing it. So after the first one, I was hooked. Right. Um, just the feeling that you get um, during that you've made an impact on their lives, on their daily healing, is huge. And you know, the parents, um, you know, are so appreciative that they have a place to call their space during treatment and to feel good and to make it functional. And uh, they spend so much time at home that, you know, all of us know what it's like to live in a space that feels good. Mm -hmm. You just, your outlook is different. Um, The function is different. So So has HGTV or any of these media outlets, television shows gotten wind of this? Have you been featured on any of these shows? No. What? Featured on none of them. Really? No, no. This seems like right up that alley. You should have a show. I should have a show. <laughs> I don't think I'm, I'm. I don't think I have enough brand of crazy for a show. But, but that's why you bring. I don't in think your I have the Georgia. niche. Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, I think that whatever the passion is for designers out there, I, I, I think that all designers are. Everyone should have some some component of giving back in their lives. I, I really do. I think it has to stop being so much about ourselves, and we really have to find whatever 
that true purpose is for anyone um, has to the, the giving back has got to be a component of it. And that's right. always been super important to me um, my whole life um, because I've been involved with different um, uh, nonprofits and contributed to different nonprofits through either my kids' schools or independently of the school systems, you know, with mm-hmm. um, foster care, whatever it might be. Um, but it's always been a big part of my life because I think that if we are blessed enough to be self-employed, that on some level we have to start giving back and right. lifting other people up. So it, it, it's definitely, it should be a part of everyone's life. Well, tell everyone how they can find Savvy Giving by Design. Uh, we have a great website that my graphic artist entrepreneur daughter did um, called SavvyGivingByDesign.org. And we have she all of our... She actually did yes. my, lo- my logos. So oh, I know. So we can plug Michelle for two things. Yes. Yeah. MKWGraphics.com. M- MKWGraphics.com. So that's Yeah, She's very talented. She's quick. And she's fast. fast. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I need that because you said earlier, I think people need to slow down. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't agree with that because I just, I can't, I can't slow down. I can't go. And I love that Michelle, because that's really rare in graphic designers to find someone that's really speedy. So it is, it's rare. (laughs) She, yeah, she is. But you know, I think what, um, to her credit, um, it's kind of defending the millennial generation here, which I know that can kind of get dumped on a little bit. She's a young entrepreneur. Um, she's got a work ethic that is really strong. Um, all of the girls do, but I think that being the first one, you know, firstborn, she's typical. Um, she achieves, but she um, she takes her business very seriously and mm-hmm. is very conscientious and mindful about what she does and how she grows and how she takes on work. So um, she's got, you know, kind of the business sense, which is very smart. And then she's got the talent, obviously, yeah. from an artistic sense. So I think them finding that combination is um, important. So I know she's going to do well. I she don't know. is super. Her. I mean, I, yeah. we don't need to keep talking about her, I guess. But I was just so yeah. impressed at her organization. Um, just the way that she laid out everything, her invoice <laughs> that she sent me. Yeah. I mean, everything was so professional and, yeah. um, and so she's just great. But anyway, so your website is SavvyGivingByDesign.org. It's beautiful. Yes. MKW Graphics did the fabulous <laughs> design. So yes. we've done that. But She did both, both my websites. Okay. Oh, the new one too for mm-hmm. Savvy Interiors. Yeah. Okay. Yes, she did. Wow. Yeah. She's yeah. awesome. And so how can people get involved with, with the nonprofit? Um, well, they can send money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, all of all of any connections that they have, any connections to vendors, super important. Any right. way they want to donate um, product for the space, HGTV. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. I think um, joining our group page on our Facebook page, it's um, not a public page. It's a closed group, which I really like because there's a lot of interaction and a lot of commenting that happens on that page. Um, And I have what's called fund-a-need. And the fund-a-needs are really fun and really kind of incredible, if you ask me, because I will, when I'm doing a space, identify several pieces I might like for the for the room. And I try to keep them under $50. Sometimes there's some higher ticket items. But, you know, when I'm looking for a particular basket or a light or, you know, side table or something, I might post a photo of it from Amazon and or from 
Target or some online source that's easy to purchase from with a shipping address and say, hey, does anybody want to fund this need for this space? And I think it is such a fun way Mm -hmm. to contribute to a room because you get to buy it, have it shipped. You don't have to go to the store. You can purchase online. It sends to my office. I install it in the space. And when those after pictures come out and you see that table that you provided for that child in the space and how excited they are or a basket or some books or pillowcases. Um, It's really rewarding to know that you had a tangible um, impact on that space and you can see it and touch it and that's where the money went. So I think if you are interested and want to be a part of it, it's very exciting because the funded needs go within five minutes. I mean, they go fast. People are always saying, oh my gosh, how did that go so quick? Please keep posting more. And then I run out, you know, because... (laughs) I have to still buy the flooring and the paint and the fun stuff that's right. not as fun, right, to, to see in the space, but still has to be purchased. So we still need the monetary donations mm-hmm. and ongoing support. But if you want to be a part of the group, then search up on Facebook, Savvy Giving by Design, and join our group page and be involved in the process because we start and, and very much um, integrate everybody in the group with our efforts. So I will introduce you to the child that we're working on, uh, what their struggles are. I usually take mom off the page um, for a short time while we're doing it so we can keep some of those elements a surprise. But, um, you know, we we all work together collaboratively. So it's very much a group effort. I don't do this in isolation. Mm-hmm. It's very much a um, group participation of contributing to these spaces. I would love to you know, kind of collaborate and maybe we work on a room together with my, you know, my people and we like adopt one of the kids. Like, I really, that would be so much fun. Oh, it would. It would. And that's what makes it um, successful and go further is because it is, it's a, like they say, it takes a village. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to every, with everyone pulling together, um, you can have a dramatic impact on these children's recovery and how they recover. And, um, you know, again, one of the things so simple that we don't think about is, A lot of times I will put in a queen-size bed into a space and we'll relocate the dresser into the closet with California Closets, who who donates all of their closet systems. But just having a queen bed where mom and dad can come in and cuddle up with their child um, after a horrendous week of chemo or steroids and lay down and take naps with them is huge and stuff that you don't necessarily think about. But, you know, if the child, we had one child who was too scared to sleep in his room for 11 months during his treatment. He slept on the couch to be closer to mom and dad because his room was, you know, he just had kind of, it just, it was scary place for him. And Mm -hmm. so by completely redoing that space and making the bed bigger and making it more conducive and child-friendly and putting a TV in there and some gaming chairs, he wound up sleeping in his bed for the first time after 11 months, which is so impactful. I mean, to be able to have a place to rest and recuperate in a space he enjoyed. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was a a huge change for him. Well, Susan, I love you and I appreciate you in so many ways. (laughs) You're doing, you're doing good work. You're such a role model for everyone that's out there that is struggling between life balance and athletics and your tries and, you know, uh, work and job and entrepreneurship and all the rest, even if that's a word, but I, <laughs> I do. I, rooms I, where I don't know what color yeah. to paint them. <laughs> I have tremendous respect for you and all that you're doing and how far you've come. You've had such tremendous growth over the last five years. Well, thank you, Susan. I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate your 
part in my life. And I, I mean it when I say, let's try and get something together where my community Mom, can then. help yours. Cause I, I think we could adopt a kid. I really want a sassy one though. Get me a sassy okay. smart mouth kid that we I, I can do sassy. <laughs> I can find Sassy. No problem. We've got a wait list right now. So there's no shortage of children. And, um, you know, as we look towards our big fundraiser in September, you know, we hope to use that fundraiser to fund for a whole year, up to 12 spaces a year. And we are coming to the end of that um, here pretty quick. So I definitely... Um, think the more involvement we can get from other communities that want to do that, the more children we can help. Very good. Very good. Well, I'll post all the links up to everything. And um, thank you again, Susan. It's always good talking to you. Oh, same here. All right. Love See you, you later. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.